Loving Father, again we thank you and praise you that we can gather this morning, that we can uh, uh, pray, that we can fellowship with each other and with you with our Bibles open. And we pray that by your Spirit you'd speak to our hearts uh, and show us again and again the glory and wonder that is our Lord Jesus and that you would lead us in a way of repentance and faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, my mother grew up in Stratford on Avon. I know. And uh, there are hoots. And, and she would always tell anyone who would listen that uh, that's where she was born and that more it was the birthplace of my goodness no wonder she tells everybody <laughs> and if you're anything like me well maybe you're familiar with a bit of Shakespeare without being an out and out fan of it but here is a line that I want to bring to your attention today and it's from Macbeth I know it's a spoiler alert, but you've had hundreds of years to know this story, so too bad. Uh, Macbeth is all about politics uh, from Scotland. Uh, and the line comes from Act 5, Scene 1. Lady Macbeth has talked to her husband into murdering the king, and he's done it. Uh, and she is the brains of the operation. And after the murder, she picks up one of the daggers and inadvertently gets blood on her hands. And from then on, this becomes a symbol. It's a symbol of her guilt. And uh, by the end of Act 5, Lady Macbeth, well, she is well and truly falling to pieces. She's sleepwalking every night. She's babbling to herself. And they're calling in the doctor. And the doctor is standing there in the doorway watching her wash her hands, uh, this invisible stuff off. And the famous line is, do you know this famous line? Out, damned spot, out I say. Out, damned spot, out I say. And hour after hour, she stands at the sink, scrubbing at the sink, and it's not coming out. Why? Because the spot's not actually there anymore. It's not physically there, it's not on her hand, but you can be sure it's on her heart. And she says, here's the smell of the blood still, all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. And the truth is, she is absolutely right. Because all the washing in the world will not and cannot wash off the guilt of what she has done. Here again we are in Leviticus and it's that part of the Bible that reminds us most of all about the holiness of God. And I don't know what stains you've got on your life this morning. I don't know what stains you may have on your conscience that you can't wash off no matter how hard you try. But the good news is as we come to Leviticus, we will see that God has provided a way 
for every stain of sin to be washed clean. Which brings us to chapters 11 to 15. Uh, if you have your Bibles open in Leviticus, we'll need to jump forward to Mark 7 a bit later on. These chapters show us that every move Israel make, every facet of life, the Israelites are going to be reminded in a symbolic way of what it means to be clean, clean before a holy God. And so in chapter 11, it's all about food, isn't it? You are what you eat. You're an Israelite. Leviticus 11. And so verses 4 to 8, all sorts of animals are mentioned there. Animals like the camel. Can you imagine sacrificing a camel? That would be awkward and clumsy, wouldn't it? It's also, camels are known to eat carrion. And that'll be important in a minute. The hyrax mentions a hyrax, whatever that is. I had to Google that. Turns out it's a small furry rat-like native with a short tail. Just a rat, but bigger. Uh, the rabbit, they're no good. They live in the ground. The pig's no good. They're a scavenger. Uh, no good. Stay away from them. And so in this list, you see no scavengers. Nothing that lives in the ground. Nothing that eats dead things. And the norm, of course, is verse 3. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Well, thank goodness for that. Way, way easier. Don't we know that? Way easier. Or fish, verses 9 to 12. Any, imagine a fish now. Did you imagine a fish with fins and scales? Probably, because that's the norm. That's the go. But nothing else. So you're not allowed to have a bottom feeder. Nothing that's a predator. Nothing that's going to be like a snake-like eel. Keep it simple. Go with the norm. Or birds, verses 13 to 19. Bats. No birds of prey. No scavengers, remember. Nothing with a strong association with death. Go with the norm. No carcasses, verse 24. Learn to make the distinction. Or verse 29 or verse 41. No animal that crawls on its belly like a snake. That's unclean. Mmm. That's a bit of detail. What does, it get your, what does it take your imagination to? The snake that crawls on its belly. Are you in the curse of the Garden of Eden? You should be. I think that's the idea. And so anything associated with the ground or death, it is out. And so verse 47, people, you've got to distinguish between the clean and unclean. Every time you go for a hunt or every time you manage your herd, every time you think about dinner, that's the question the Israelite must ask themselves. Clean or unclean? Because my relationship with God matters above all else. For the Israelite, truly, truly, I am what I eat. And so if we jump, so hold that in view. If we jump over to chapter 15, we didn't really read this. And we're not going to read much of this either. You can read the title. That's probably enough. Discharges that cause uncleanness. 
uh, I tell you, it's just downright gross. And I want to say to you, as you cast your eye over chapter 15, again we're back in the Garden of Eden and we're being reminded of the curse. Because now with all this talk of blood loss and nose dripping and bleeding and we have pus as well, don't we? And then we have skin diseases in chapter 13. Back in chapter 12, Thea read out for us and we heard the women's stuff is about women's stuff and maybe you were grossed out about that. Dying skin, loss of blood, loss of fluid, all points to a loss of life of sorts. They're all symbolic of the curse. These are things we do on account of the curse. All on account of the changed and fallen nature of our world somehow. And because it's associated with the curse, it's unclean. Even your house will get a skin disease in chapter 14, verse 35. If it grows mildew, a bit of rising damp happening. Uh, or your clothes in chapter 13, verse 47. It all shouts out death, death, death and curse, curse, curse. Mum and Dad loved to have people for Sunday lunch. Often they'd have clergy or the student minister. And Mum kept a clean and tidy home. Uh, she had five kids, she still managed it. Uh, but there was this one minister that arrived this one time and Mum would, well, Mum would clean the house so it was sparkling. But so the family story goes, this one time he turned up and no sooner is he in the door, he's running his finger along the bottom of the skirting board and he's collecting the dust and he's showing it to my mum with a big, stupid smile on his face. And all the ladies are going, oh, you poor mum. But if you're like my dad, my dad thought that was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious to t see the look of shock on my mum's face. And obviously just the intention of a stir on the part of this minister. I won't ever do that in your house, you can be sure. But you get the idea, clean or unclean, what does it all mean? What is it that ties all this together? I mean, it's bad enough that we have to read this stuff. Imagine having to live it out day after day, year after year, learning all the rules for what is clean, what's in, what's out, what's, what's unclean. What is the point of it all? And some will say, yeah, it is about hygiene. It's about the dust on the finger. But I want to respond to that and kick back a bit and say, look, if this is just about hygiene, why isn't it wider in scope? Where's the information about poisonous plants, for example? Are there hygiene benefits? Well, of course. It's a, we all know it's a really good idea to not eat roadkill, don't we? Nobody's done that lately, I don't think. But I don't think Leviticus serves as some kind of hand sanitizer at the sink. Is God practical at this point? And I want to say, oh yeah, this is the stuff that works, especially regarding the animals, sure. 
But it's more than about hygiene, and this is more than just being about pragmatics. So what's it all a picture of? Well, like the sacrifice system, this is another object lesson, lesson in sin. God is setting up these symbols. Uh, they're designed to teach the Israelites that something that is even bigger than just personal hygiene. He's getting them to think about the difference between sin and holiness. And almost everything in life, every facet, comes into the categories of unclean, clean, or holy. Your food, your clothes you wear, even you and your personal bodily functions, God is going to speak into that. The only thing that stayed absolutely holy through all of it was God himself. And the holy and the unclean, well, they cannot come into contact. And if it does, the unclean is consumed. Ask Nadab and Abihu from last week. The unclean is consumed. And so anything with a spot on it, anything with a blemish, it's the same symbolism as we saw with Lady Macbeth. It becomes a visible reminder of what sin is like. It's not firstly about hygiene and pragmatics. It's about visible symbols of holiness and sin. It's about the relationship, the spiritual thing. And so see holiness and unclean, uncleanness do not mix. And the whole system is summed up in chapter 15, verse 31. Can you see it? You must keep the Israelites separate from these things that make them unclean so that they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. God himself is living among the people of Israel. He's showing his presence in the glowing presence of their tabernacle. And if anyone brings their unclean uncleanness into the presence of God, they are toast. They're dead. And so if there is one lesson the people of Israel have to learn, again, it's that holiness and uncleanness do not mix. And for Israel, well, guess how many ways there are to be reminded? There's about 96 ways to be reminded of that. But it's not all doom and gloom because in these five chapters, if you've read them, maybe you also saw that there is a way to get clean. 37 times we're told. 37 times we can see the clean become, the, the unclean can become clean again. Clean in a way that Lady Macbeth could not. Because God is saying to Israel, when you're reminded about my holiness, when you are reminded about your sin, you need to know that the effects of sin and death can be reversed. Your guilt can be undone and done away with. The unclean can become clean. And even more than that, the clean can even become holy. Holy. 
And so sometimes that is ceremonial washing. Uh, Leviticus 14.19 This is what the priest does. The priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. You see what the symbols do. See the principle. Here is the reality. This is about the cleansing of sin. This is about that word atonement. Where you are made at one with God. Where you have peace with God. Now, for goodness sakes, how terrible would it be for us if we were to hold on to symbols in such a way and forget the reality behind those symbols. The big mistake for Israel and Jews that they still make today is that they hold on to the symbols so hard they actually let go of the reality. And that's the danger of ritual, where a sacrament grows all out of proportion in our thinking to the point that the very gospel we love and treasure is potentially lost. We forget the sacrament is actually pointing us to the gospel. It's pointing us to Jesus, our King and Saviour. And how many churches will scream blue murder if you mess with the sacraments, but are also indifferent about the very reality such symbols are supposed to communicate? I mean, would you get more upset about me changing communion or me preaching that Jesus didn't die on the cross or that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Which would irk you more? The Israelites, well, they got very, very good at playing this game of clean and unclean, and they still do today. I know of a bloke that has two dishwashers so that the kosher and the non-kosher are separate. Their problem was and is they've lost sight of the real meaning of these symbols. And they love to stick to the letter of the law. And in sticking to the letter of the law, they've lost the substance, the meaning, the point. Which is exactly what Jesus said they did with the laws of clean and unclean. Mark 7. See, how can Adam say this? Well, I never said it. Jesus said it. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees are criticising the disciples of Jesus. They're eating their food without going through all the rituals to become ceremonially clean. And Jesus unloads and he says, what you're really doing, you, you hypocrites, what you're doing is you're losing sight of the reality and instead you're holding on to the traditions of men. So verse 14, again, Jesus called to the crowd to him. He said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Well, he's going to make a point. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then he leaves the crowd. He goes into the house. And the disciples said, what did they say? Oh, what did you mean? And Jesus says, don't you get it? The sort of clean that really matters is what is in the heart. Verse 18, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach 
and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And as we read these words, we thank the Lord that these chapters in Leviticus and their rituals, yes, they've used their use-by date. They're past the expiry date. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. The thing that makes people really unclean is what is inside them, he says. What comes out of a man is what makes them unclean. Verse 21, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see the list. Maybe as I started reading that list with murder and theft, you thought you're okay. But then the list keeps going, doesn't it? And if you're like me, you start going, uh-oh. See, how unclean are you? How unclean am I? All of these they come from the inside and they make a person unclean. And sure, you've never killed anyone and maybe you are free from adultery or maybe you're not. But what about the stain of greed or the stain of deceit or envy or the stain of arrogance or lewdness or folly? Unclean. Unclean. All from right inside us. Even the best of us, it's all there. And so how can unclean people like that, people like us, approach a holy God? How can we approach a holy God and live to tell the tale? Well, don't we need a sacrifice of atonement for us? And, of course, the answer is the same then as it is today. For only Jesus... And his sacrifice, he's the sacrifice we need. And it's interesting that this Jesus that travelled from place to place, and time and time again in Mark's Gospel, it is this Jesus that makes the clean, makes the unclean clean. It's this Jesus that touches people, the, the Son of God, the Holy One of God, reaching out and touching people, people with skin diseases. And instead of him becoming unclean, he makes them clean. And he touches the dead and he brings life. The dead boy in Luke 7. He brushes against a woman in the crowd who's been bleeding for 12 years. And again, instead of being unclean, he makes her clean. And why is that? It's because he's on his way. He's on his way to make that once and for all sacrifice. That sacrifice that wipes all the old regulations away and makes it possible for people who are unclean on the inside to find forgiveness, to find God's forgiveness. 
God is a good God. Do you see that here? Do you see how wonderful it is? You don't have to do this stuff in Leviticus. You can eat bacon. How easy it is to miss the point though. That as sinners, all of us, we need cleansing on the inside. We need Jesus to do that cleansing or there is no hope at all that we can ever approach a holy God. And that as sinners, all of us, we need to make sure that we can only approach God with Christ's sacrifice before us. The sacrifice of the perfect life of our Lord Jesus. The one who makes it possible for you to face God. Where every sin is put aside. Where every spot is wiped clean. Where every wrong is forgiven. See what Jesus does. See that Jesus undoes the curse. See that he moves us to a place where there is no more death and no more bleeding, no more curse, where God will wipe away our tears. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And where God will come and dwell with us, eternally, where we will be his people and he will be our God. Amen.